Good morning, family. Everybody doing well today? It's so great to be together, to see you this morning. I know it's quite warm in the building. Sorry about that. We're working on the aircon. We should have it better next week. But for today, just think cool thoughts. <laughs> it's uh, wonderful to start this year off and to so many new things that are happening and new opportunities. And uh, we're very aware also that uh, it's a great time in many families' lives with some wonderful new opportunities for little ones to go into grade one, some older ones that go into grade eight, and even those that are leaving school and going to study at varsity or starting work programs or anything. So I think it'll just be appropriate if we can pray for uh, any of the children. I know they're not with us in the building this morning, but if we can pray for them and just speak a blessing over them. If you're a parent of a child that is in going grade one or grade eight, or a first-year student, or just first year out of school, don't you want to stand and we just want to pray with you, uh, because you're actually the one that needs the great grace of the Lord um, in this time. Some parents have already cried their cries this week. Some are very happy and excited. Let's uh, just pray together and speak a blessing over them. Father, we thank you for our nation. We thank you, Father, for the opportunities we have and for opportunities for our children to be educated, Father. And we know that there are many kids that are still struggling to find places, whether it's tertiary education or, or even a place in school. But, and, and we pray into those situations also, and we pray that, that, that opportunities will be made and, and, and that every family and every child will have the opportunities that is rightfully theirs, Lord. But we thank you for our children and for just opportunities for them. We pray for the little ones going to grade one, that it will be a, a wonderful journey for them, a start of this, of real school, and that it would be such a great time for them, and they'll learn so much. And we pray for our grade eights as they go into high school, and just your blessing upon them with all the new things getting thrown at them, and, and those that are leaving school going to varsity or gap years or, or work programs or anything like that. Lord, we pray for every one of them that they would maximize their opportunities that nothing will keep them from reaching their individual potential and that they'll be able to live out the, the plans and the purposes that you have for them in their lives. And I pray for every family in these situations that they will experience your grace and your covering in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessings for you as parents. We also have a first year going to varsity this year. But uh, our own school had 64 matrics that passed last year, and we're so thankful again for the great results of our school that... Um, we had a 100% success rate, pass rate, and many of our students were in the top 1% of many, many different subjects. So we're very proud of the school, the Holloways, and uh, everybody else, and well done, and we look forward to a wonderful year for you also. Today is a special day, and it's a special beginning for us as we do every year. We start this year together in both churches with this week as a week of prayer and fasting. And we would like to make sure that you have all the information you need so that you can come to as many of the sessions as possible. We would really encourage you. I know it's busy and, and life's getting going and lots of things, but you will not be sorry if you take some time and come and spend time in corporate prayer or individual prayer. Uh, as you can, but our, particularly our times of corporate prayer together, they're going to be great times. Uh, I will be between the two churches and one in the one evening and one the next evening, but uh, I'm going to be in as many of them as I can myself also. So you will have received a little uh, pamphlet like this, they're around on the chairs. Please make sure that you have them. You can also consult our social media. There's just one little error that crept in. A Christmas elf was a bit slow, um, carried over from Christmas, 
And uh, it says on Sunday morning, the 20th of January, which is next Sunday, that there'd be prayer from 6 to 11. That's, that's it's not correct. That's from 9 to 11. 9 o'clock, we start and we pray before the service. We do that every Sunday, and you're always welcome to join us, just on my right-hand side here, behind the ministry area. And then the service starts at 9, and that's how we will end our time of week of prayer and fasting. But there's many opportunities for you to join in the week. Tonight and Friday night are through-the-night prayer times where we will have people facilitate and be here to pray right through the night. So you can come to the evening service tonight and then stay afterwards and stay, spend the time in prayer and pray together with the community on Friday night also. The different times will be hosted by different uh, parts of our community. Different teams would host them. But please make sure that you do uh, enjoy every one of those times. And then also the ladies, please remember that Saturday morning is a special time also for the ladies to gather together. And that's also an event where they kick off their here and we'll be sharing about what God is doing in their midst and also be facilitating a time of prayer during that time. But anybody's welcome to come to any of the events and come and pray and spend time together or you can come here, our prayer room after the service, all the facilities will be that where we have prayer times will be open and you can come and pray individually and really have a great time. We would also ask you to consider to fast and take some time out in this week and to fast. I always tell people I fast coffee when it comes to this week every year. It's a great sacrifice. If you know me, you know that's a useless thing. I don't ever drink coffee, so, <laughs> so it's, it doesn't really mean much. But uh, if you want to fast, there's some guidelines for fasting on the pamphlet also, and however you feel the Lord lead you and what you feel is appropriate and, uh, uh, and, and the response you want to show to the Lord in this time, please fast accordingly also. So it's going to be a great time, and uh, it's about the the prayer, week of prayer and fasting that I want to sort of get us all together this morning and get us all behind the same starting line and that we go together into this year and uh, with the, the same heart and, and launch into this week of prayer and fasting. And the title of my message this morning is No Other Foundation. I want to take us to a portion of Scripture that many of us may have some familiarity with, and it's Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we're going to have the, the verses on the, on, on, the slide, on the screens, but you're also welcome to please. It's always great if you can follow along in your own um, Bible also. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, obviously. That's why it's termed Corinthians, the letter, because of who it was written to. Now, the Corinthians, we must remember, were a, a, a large, by and large, Gentile church. In other words, they were people that didn't come from a, a Hebrew background, but it was a church in a, in a Gentile context with many uh, Gentile believers that converted from pagan religions. And uh, therefore, they brought in with them their particular cultural heritage and, and the way they were used to doing things and the way they were used to practicing their religion or their, 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 their culture. And they brought that with them in church. And Paul was one of those that were that were discipling these people and walking with them and instructing them in the Word of God and what it means to be a Christian and how a Christian community should behave and how a Christian community worships the Lord. And uh, so when he was writing these letters, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he was answering some questions as well as addressing certain events and uh, things that were developing amongst the church in Corinth. And we have the great privilege of learning from these things that he spoke to that community, and we take so, so much of that and we can apply it into our own community of faith today. But in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, we pick up Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And I'd like us to read it this morning together as a, and, and read him speaking to somebody in an obviously written form. 
He writes the following in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul is not happy. He's a little agitated. He's perhaps even a little irritated. He's concerned for the Corinthians. He starts off with the sentence, which is not a nice, you know, happy encouragement sentence, but a little bit of a taking them to task kind of sentence, saying to them, guys, I'm, 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 you're falling behind in something here. There's something that you're not doing well enough in. You're not living up to the standard. You're not, you're not measuring up to what you should be as a community of faith. There's some things that you're missing. I can't even speak to you as, a, as people that are examples of the Christian life. I'm, I'm actually needing to address you as people that are living more the way the world lives than what the way Christians should behave and live. He's concerned. He carries on and he writes the following. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. He's saying to them that I understand that you come from a, from a pagan background and that for many of you, you, you're new in your faith and this church is still young and it's growing and developing. And therefore, when, uh, for many of you, for a period of time, I've given you milk and I've, I've given you that which is easy for you to, to quickly nourish you, to strengthen you so that you can grow. But you're falling behind. You're not keeping up with your growth trajectory. How many of you as parents can remember when your child was born? And, uh, and when you go, went to the clinic, they would give you a little, uh, in our days, I think it was a green, uh, like, cardboard thing. Remember those? With, a, with a, like, lines on it that went like this, like trajectories. And when your child is born, they weigh it, they measure it, they do all the tests, and then they, when they just, you know, in the beginning there, they put a, a mark, and they say, okay, your child is on the scale here. And then every so often, you have to go back to the clinic, and your child gets their inoculations, uh, which was always fun when that happened as a parent. Didn't you love those th- events? And then, uh, and then they would get weighed and measured again, and so they would tr- plot their progress. And if your child was on one of those lines, they would say to you, your child is keeping up with their particular trajectory of growth and how they should be. Or it happened with us once with one of our children. They said, ooh, your, your child is falling behind a little bit. We need to step in and get some nourishment into your child. And we had to add formula and change a few things because our child was not keeping up to their trajectory. Paul, this is what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, you're not keeping up with your growth trajectory. You should be here, but you're only here by now. Come on, guys. There's something that, that's causing you to fall behind. For since there is jealousy, you are still worldly, he says to them. And and, and so he diagnoses the problem. He says, the reason you're falling behind in your growth is because you are worldly. In other words, you are more like the world than what you are like a Christian community. You're more influenced by the world still than what you are by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the instructions of the apostles. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? He diagnoses the problem. He says, it's because you're worldly. Then he gives them evidence for his diagnosis. He says, the reason I say you are worldly is because of the quarreling that I see among you. You are in in, in a place of dispute with one another. You're not on the same page. You're not in unity. There's there's fighting in the community of faith. And, And this shows me that you are worldly, particularly if I think of the reason you are fighting. He says, are you not acting like mere humans? Now, The Corinthians were humans, weren't they? 
This was a human church. This was not a church of aliens or cats or they were humans. What does he mean when he says you're acting like mere humans? You see, Paul's expectation was that though they were humans, they were reborn humans. They were humans born in the Spirit of God. They were humans that were now in the kingdom of God, having been renewed, regenerated by the power of the Word of God. And therefore, they're not living according to the old patterns of the flesh, but they should be living according to the patterns of the Spirit. And he's saying, but I'm not seeing the evidence in you because of these quarrels among you. Now, what were they fighting about? Why, why were they quarreling with each other? What was causing this disunity? He carries on and he gives us the answer to this in verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? You see, what was happening among them is factions were starting to develop in the church. Because people in the church were starting to elevate the roles of some of the leaders and some of the influences in the church. Some people were saying, man, the person that's really the, the, the man of God or the person of God, the leader, the one we should follow is Apollos. Others were saying, no, 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 it's Paul. And others were still even saying others. And, and people were starting to divide. And, and, and in this part of the church, you would have a section that would say, no, Paul's our man. And on this side, you would have a faction that would say, no, Apollos is our man. And, and they would start to argue with one another, both trying to prove their point, or all parties trying to convince the other about why this one is really the, the anointed one. This is, this is the one appointed by God. And the others would say, no, 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 but you, you must understand it. It's this person. And, and so they were starting to divide and pull the church apart because of their focus on these men as it was in those situations. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. What a dangerous situation that develops when we elevate people at the cost of the glory that belongs to Jesus. And this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. And Paul speaks right into this. He addresses this head on. He says to them, you are giving honor to men and you are lifting up the roles of men among you at the cost of the role of Christ. And I want to help you get this right. I want to bring some redress in this situation. How can the church become divided along the lines of, human, of loyalty to human beings? How is that possible? He says, if that happens, it is a great sign of immaturity. This is directly what Paul says. He says, a community that gets divided because of its loyalty to different people shows a great lack of maturity. Because a mature community understands the order of things. Our word for this year is be ready. Be ready. Be ready for a display of God's glory in our everyday lives. And, and we have an expectancy that is built over last year as we've spent time in prayer together as a community. We really feel God is saying that He wants to pour out His Spirit in new ways upon us. Amen. And we want to be ready for the moving of God. We want to be His people. We want to see more of His glory. How many of you know that our city, our nation needs the glory of God to be revealed? But we believe it's not only going to be in our, our gatherings here, but in everyday life, in your workplace, in your home, the, the, even the things that you've been doing, just everyday things, suddenly the glory of God will even be revealed in those things. That is what we believe in God for that. But we believe God is saying, if you want to see that, you've got to be ready. And the first step is get things in order. Get the right order in place. 
Not organization, but order. I'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But order. And this is what Paul is addressing with the Corinthians. He's saying, you're getting the order wrong here, guys. You're starting to look at something, and you're putting man's role above God's role, and it's starting to cause divisions among you because you're immature. You don't understand how it works. Do you think this happens in our day and age today? Do we sometimes get this mixed up? Have you ever seen anybody do this? Where we start being divided because of human loyalties and we let go of the importance of Christ. Paul speaks in the Corinthian church in a very particular way he speaks into this. You see, the Corinthians came out of the Greco-Roman culture, the Greeks and Romans. And they had, they, their society was built along certain lines. And there were certain ways that you ascended in society, that you became a person of value in society. And particularly in their societies of the day, many of their societies were built on this idea of honor. How do you bring honor to yourself, to your family, and to those that associate with you? Or how easy it would be for you to bring dishonor to people? And if you were a person of dishonor because of certain things that were present in your life, because of your standing, your social placing, or your behavior, your whole family would suffer because of your failure of society. So everybody was shaped and pushed and moved along in their society by this drive to, to bring honor to themselves and their families. One of the chief ways that the Greco-Roman world brought honor to themselves is through education. If you were an educated person, if you had a person that had understanding and knowledge about things, that would immediately start lifting you up and taking you up into the society. Now, how did you show that you were an educated person? One of the ways that people showed their education was through public speaking. So they loved philosophy. They loved listening to people talk. And if you were a person that were gifted and able to speak well publicly, and if you could sort of arrest a crowd and, and, and really, you know, grab people by the ears and, and take them somewhere and wow, and people were, then you would quickly ascend into the honor of the, of the society. You would become one of their respected people very quickly. And so there were many people that were working very hard to be good at public speaking. What would happen was, if you became good at public speaking, it would be easy for you to find patronage. In other words, somebody would come and be a patron and support you financially. Because if you were a respected speaker and held in high regard in their community, if they could say, but I'm supporting that person financially, it would also bring honor to them and their family. And they would move in the right circles. So the Corinthians were very, very keen for people that could speak well in public and present themselves well and were persuasive in their arguments and were forceful in their speaking. And these people became very wealthy very quickly. They could publish and have very different ways to become quite healthy in society, uh, wealthy in society. So it's in this place that Paul comes. And he comes to speak to the Corinthians. It is very interesting for me that Paul purposefully toned down his public speaking when he came to speak to the Corinthians, to the point where some of them were starting to get a bit embarrassed about him. Paul was a very well-established and respected public speaker. Read the book of Acts. When he spoke in Athens and in other places, he was a man of persuasive words. He was a man that had something about him. But when it came to the Corinthians, he toned down. He acted completely counterculturally, to the point where some of them were saying, Paul, you're so unimpressive when you speak. 
You're not persuasive enough. You're not strong enough. We're feeling a little embarrassed with you speaking in public. You're not bringing honor to our community of faith. You know, as a Christians, we're fighting for our place in in the Greco-Roman world. We're not respected. We need leaders that that are forceful and strong and can stand up and and give us respect and honor. And, And Paul would tone it down. And some would say, you know, you're a bit awkward, Paul. And that's for that reason that some were elevating Apollos because Apollos was a strong, forceful orator. And it's great to have that. That's nothing wrong with it. But some were holding him up and saying, look, he's the guy. He's the one that we need to say is, our, is, our, is the leader of our church. We appreciate Paul, but let's downplay. And, and it's there where the factionalism started. Now Paul says to them, What am I? What is Apollos? We're nothing. I don't know how often you've seen a great leader put that on their status. I am nothing. That's what he says. He says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Because Paul wants to remind them that this, the Corinthian church and any church, is God's church. It's not Paul's church. It's not Apollos' church. It's not even the people's church, firstly. It's God's church. And the only one that must get ultimate glory and honor in the church is God. And whenever a leader starts operating in a way and gets elevated to the point where that leader starts taking away the glory of God, problems starts arising. You see, we must always remember it's so wonderful, it's so great, it's awesome. It's such a privilege for me to be a leader in church and to be in this church and to have a leadership role here. And, and I'm so thankful for the, for the anointing God has given me for this task, for the grace He's given me, for the gifting and the calling that I have to do this. But ultimately, I'm just a mirror reflecting who God is. And if you start praising the mirror, you're getting it wrong. Amen? Why are you so quiet this morning? Because the light that should shine in this community is Jesus. And we all reflect Him. So often we don't do a good job of reflecting Him. But it's Him. He is the light. Now, He he gifts men and women for certain functions. He has called certain people to take leadership roles. He called Paul, especially, gave him a calling. But Paul understood that though he had such a great calling and a special calling, and God gifted and enabled and equipped him for this calling, he says, none of this means anything that I do compared to what God do should be celebrated. It's about Him. I'm not saying leaders shouldn't be honored. The Scripture says, those that teach the Word receive double honor. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, if you put me as Paul or Apollos or any other leader next to God, what we do is nothing compared to what He does. This whole thing works because of Jesus, not because of us. We don't bring anything other than what God does through us. It's Him that deserves the glory. It's Him that is the foundation. I mean, it is an awesome thing to preach the Word of God. Those of us that get to preach, Neil and Lutzolo and those in the evening service or speak in any place, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to preach the Word of God. Hey, H, it's such a privilege. It is, it is one of the most wonderful experiences you'll have if you're speaking to a crowd of people and you're preaching the Word of God and you can see and sense the anointing on the Word and you can sense the Spirit of God has enabled you. And I mean, if I don't get empowered by the Spirit of God to do this job, it'll be eating cornflakes. No, brand, all brand flakes. Dry, it'll be terrible. 
Man, by the grace of God, He enables us, He empowers us, He anoints us. It's wonderful when you preach and you, and you see people go, wow. And sometimes you get applause and it's amazing. Oh, God is speaking. Sometimes it's quiet. Have you heard those moments in the service where it's quiet? It's like a pin drop. Even that baby that always cries is not crying. <laughs> you don't even feel the heat. It's just like, and you know God is speaking. It's amazing to experience that as a preacher. But can I tell you? That doesn't come from the preacher, firstly. That comes from the Word. The Word is powerful. Now, I'm not saying the preacher doesn't contribute and his gifting and what God has called and anointed isn't, but it's firstly the Word. It is the Word that is powerful, sharp enough to divide, cut. It is the Word that gives life. And we have this privilege of preaching the Word. And Paul understood that sometimes the messenger can get in the way of the message. And people can get so focused on the messenger that they miss the message. The message was, we do not build this church on the wisdom of man, but on the wisdom of God. Therefore, Paul took a step back. And he said, I'm not going to come to you with strong and persuasive words. I'm not going to make it easy on you. I want you to see through me the one on whom this church is built. And that's why Paul did the second very countercultural thing in the day, is he did manual labor. You see, once you were in that position as a, as a person like that, that people would actually go and listen to and had that respect and honor, you didn't do manual labor. Why did Paul come to the Corinthians? And in many other churches, he didn't do this. But with the Corinthians, he said, I'm not going to let you pay for me. I'm not going to have patronage. I'm not going to be supported financially by some other churches are blessing, helping me. And for the rest of my needs, I'm going to, pay, I'm going to work. I'm going to make tents. And I'm going to do physical labor. And so I'm going to look after myself. Because he was breaking the culture of the day. I want to encourage you. Some of you may be here today and you're looking for a church. It's January. The gyms and the churches are full. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Welcome. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Did you see in our announcement we even said it twice? Welcome to the first timers. It's awesome to have you here. But I want to encourage you. You know, to be part of a community of faith is so vital to your faith. And if you want to take it seriously, then, then don't decide the church, if you're going to deciding if you want to join a church and be part of a church based purely on this person, me, preaching the word, or that's the leader. If you like me, it's wonderful, but don't decide based on that. If you don't like me, it's also wonderful, and don't decide based on that. There's a couple of other things that are more important. I, I get concerned sometimes when I see people in our, in our city that runs after anointing as a singular thing that they say, I'm just looking for anointing. Is anointing important? Yes. Do we want more of the presence of God and the Spirit of God and the anointing of God in our midst? Yes. But it's never a singular thing only. Anointing goes with other things. And so if you want to be part of a community and get involved and get invested and, and give of yourself to that community, check it up. Do a little bit of investigation. You owe it to yourself. Find out about the church. There's a couple of things I think you should look at. Is there a sense of community in that church? Is that church about the people or is it about one or two people? Is that church about relationships between people? Is it about equipping the saints? You know, because this church is not about my gifting and my anointing. You're not here to support my anointing. Did you know that? You support me 
But if I understand the Scripture correctly, it's actually my anointing that's supposed to support you in your anointing. I've been given the task by the Lord to equip the saints with the other pastors and our staff, and that's what we do. That's what God's called us to do. But God's called you to do. He's anointed you. He's purposed you. He's gifted you. Some of you to be a bus driver, a doctor, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is. And our privilege is to come and to use what God has given us to support you, to help you, to enable you, to equip you. And you need to support us. It's right that you honor your leaders, that you submit to the leaders, as the Scripture says, that our word has weight. But if that's going to be true, then make sure there's good, healthy things in place in a church. Is there a sense of community? Are there structures and processes of responsibility and accountability? Am I, is the senior pastor a law unto himself, or is he accountable to other people? Not just his family. Not just the board made up of his own family members, but people that are positioned in the life of the church that can check and that they're good processes. How does the money get handled? Because we believe in tithing. I believe that every believer should tithe to their local church. I'm, I'm very strongly believe in that. But if you're going to tithe to a local church, you should make sure that you're tithing and that money gets used for that which God wants. Now, I'm not saying you've got to check up every cent, but as this church, for instance, we have processes where we open the finances and people can see into it. And we have structures of leader, people that are lay leaders that are not part of the church that hold us accountable, for instance. Make sure that those things are in place. Check. One of the things that I always check for when I go into a community of faith is, do you see more than one leader? Or is there just one person? That is the voice and the end all and everything. Now, if it's a young, new community, you understand that. But over time, do you see other leaders rise? Is there a group of leadership? There's not confusion, but there's people that, that there's a community of leaders. There, there, there's not this, you know, they used to call it Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. One leader that's woo, and everybody else just, are they serious, good leaders? Some of those things I think you, you should consider. But ultimately, we come to the next verse in verse 10, which really tells us the, the key, the, the fundamental issue. Paul writes, he says, By the grace of God, God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each man should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation. There's one foundation that you can build any community of faith, a church on. Not only a church, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. There's only one foundation you can build your life on, and that is Christ Jesus. Amen? There's only one foundation. You can't build on anything else. I quickly want to illustrate this point. This is a foundation. It's not. It's just a piece of wood, but it symbolizes a foundation. So if this is my foundation that I want to build on. Do you know when you build a building, you have to have a foundation? Aren't you glad that this building has been standing since 1984? And that, by and large, is because it's foundation. The, the taller the building, the bigger the building, the bigger the foundation. You cannot build if there's not a foundation. And foundations comes first. And when you develop your own faith or you develop a community of faith, you have to make sure that the foundation comes first. The foundation, which is Jesus Christ. That gets put in the ground long before anything else. You cannot begin to build anything if the foundation is not settled first. You know, when we developed this church and the South Church, 
I remember the, in the 80s when we built this church, we could come and walk here, on the, and, and there was just these trenches dug. And at some day, they came and closed it all up, and millions of rands, or those years, hundreds of thousands of rands, Laurie will know, were spent. And then they closed it all up, and you could see nothing. All you could see was flat ground. But the foundations were put in place. And then they built. Foundations is what keeps us standing in the long run. And foundations comes first. You cannot say, I've got a great foundation. It's window height in my building. You cannot build other things if this is a brick or another building or part of your building. You can't put this first and then decide, okay, now I'm going to put a foundation. Your building will crack. Your building will fall. No matter what, how good this building material is, no matter how great the plans are, what you're building, foundations always come first. The foundation of Jesus in our lives always comes first. Nothing else comes first. If you're building your life, you're not building your life on the foundation of you. You can't say, this is me. My interests, my giftings, my abilities, my talents, and I'm going to build my life on me. And then I'm going to add Jesus on top of that. And Jesus is going to help me be the best me that I can be. Jesus is going to help me use my gifts and my abilities and my talents in the best way and in the right way. Thank you, Jesus. No, no, no. First, Jesus. Then my giftings and my talents and my abilities. What that literally means, we were chatting as a family in the week in our, in our family quiet time, and we were saying, you know, when you, if you want to study architecture, you don't decide I'm going to be an architect because you say that's my interest, so that's what I'm going to do. As a child of God, you say, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to be? What's your will for my life? What's your plans? I can see my interest is architecture, but Lord, I put that before you, and I want to be built on what you want. You will inform my talents, my gifts, and my abilities, what it should be used for. You will shape my interests. You first, then this. We build our lives, and we, like we build this church, on the foundation of Christ with our gifts and our abilities. Not on our gifts and our abilities, with Christ. And you need to understand that about me also. You cannot build this church on me, whoever is the senior pastor. We've been gifted as a gift to this body. We have a role to play, an important role. We have a, a part that we have to do, a responsibility that we carry. We will be held accountable before the Lord for the role that we play. But we use our gifts and our abilities, limited as they are, to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with the community of saints. We build on Christ. Not only does a foundation come first, but a foundation also provides the shape to a building. Now, if this is the foundation, if you can imagine sort of trenches dug out, then you know, just by looking at this, if you have a top view of this, then you know this is going to be a rectangular building. This is going to be the shape of this building as it rises. Amen? Because the foundation is that shape. Foundations shape buildings. So, as a church and as a person, we need to know what is God saying to us? What's our calling? What's our purpose? What are our boundaries? What are the things He expects of us? So that that shapes our foundation, which is Christ Jesus. For every church, for every person, the shape will be a little bit different according to the, the calling of God. There will be certain things that are similar, but there will be certain things that are a bit unique. And when I understand that I build according to that shape, that creates my boundary. I cannot build here. If this is what God has called for me and defined, 
or for us as a church, this is who we are. This is our foundation. But we decide, or I decide, man, I also want to have an international, Louis Kortzer International Anointed Ministry. Now I build it here. It wasn't part of God's plan, but I feel. How many of you know this building here is going to cause me big problems? Because this is going to crack. Because it has no foundation. Paul says here, by the grace God has given me, I have laid a foundation. By the grace. There's grace for this. There's not grace for this. And if if I build this in my life here, outside of the grace of God, this thing, I'm going to pay for it. God's not going to pay. God, God pays for what you build here. You pay for what you build here. I learned this very hard way. So please listen to me. You pay for this. And you know what happens is this building starts cracking. And then you have to spend money and energy and time to fix it up. And then you work hard to fix it up. But it keeps cracking. And eventually you can't build here because all your resources are going into building here. So when God speaks to you and says, listen, that thing, I didn't call you to do that. There's no grace in your life for that. The best thing you can do is take a big hammer and go and knock that building down as quickly as you can. So that you can get back on the building program to build here. That's why a week of, communi- of, of prayer and fasting for this community is very serious. It's a point every week where we come and we say, Lord, you come first. And we want nothing more or nothing less. If this is the foundation, Lord, we also don't want to build just this little block. You're going to hold us accountable for this whole foundation. And we will have to have built everything that you wanted here. So, Lord, nothing more, nothing less. And we come in a week like this and we come and we say, Lord, we want to put you first. And we want to be about you. You are the sure foundation. It is a wonderful privilege to do that together as a community. This is your church in the sense that you are part of it. This church will not live up to its fullness if you don't do what God has called you to do. We all need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. We all need to function in the giftings and the callings that God has given us. And as He proportioned it, then we will do the the task and the job that God has given us. We will achieve it because it's us together. There's no place for people to be long-term passengers. There's seasons where you can sort of tag along for a bit because God's doing stuff in your life and, and perhaps you're going through a season of healing or, and there's seasons, but you cannot be a long-term passenger. We spoke about it last year. We are workers in the kingdom. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about our lives out there, every part that we are. We want to be God's people built on the foundation of Jesus Christ with with grace using the gifts and abilities and the talents we have. Pray for us that are in leadership. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray that we will serve God and, and keep the order correct. Jesus first in everything. Jesus first in everything. This is not my church. It's Jesus' church. And if we ever get it wrong, May the Lord have mercy and grace on us. It's Him first. Won't you stand with me this morning? As we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to read for you this, these couple of verses. Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, 
everyone who hears the words, these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There's only one rock that you can build your life on that will stand the test of time. Everything else is sand. You are sand. This world is sand. The political structures, the governmental structures, your job, everything is sand. It can all move. It can all change. It is only Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is only Him that is the solid foundation that if you build on Him, your house will stand. Every one of us, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, our works will be tested, not to determine our salvation, but our works will be tested. Don't waste your gold, your silver, your precious stones. If you build on any other foundation, your gold will end up in the mud. But if you build on Christ, glory will arise to God. And His name will be honored for all eternity. Lord, we just come before you today. Thank you, Jesus, that we have you. We don't have to mess around. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to hope. We can be sure. We can build on a sure foundation. The winds will come. The storms will come, Lord. But we can stand. Not because of us, but because of you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, at the beginning of this year, as a community, we first want to say, Jesus first in everything. May you be our firm foundation, Lord. May everything we do be about you, Jesus. You first, Lord. In your grace. As individuals, Lord, we want to say, I don't want to build my life on anything other than his Jesus. Come, Jesus, be my foundation. Every decision I make, everything I do, let it be about Jesus. And Lord, as we enter this week of prayer and fasting, and from there this year we pray, guide us by your Spirit. We want more of your presence. Pour out your anointing upon us. Pour out your Spirit upon us. But on a foundation, which is Christ Jesus. It may be that you're here today and you've never put Jesus first in your life. You're living your life on the foundation that is you. And today the Spirit of God is saying to you, you cannot carry on like that. Your building is already cracking and it's going to fall. It's going to come down with a big crash. Come and build your life on the foundation which is Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to give your heart to Jesus, is the way we say, language that we use to just say that I give it all, I give my everything to Him and I put Him first. And I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I recognize I can't do this. I need Jesus. And I want to invite you to come to the front right now as we end the service. Bring your belongings with you and our pastoral team and elders and some of our leaders will be here. They will meet with you and they want to pray with you and help you come to Jesus. Don't start this year. Don't waste any more time on things that are not going to stand. Build everlasting. Come right now and let us pray with you. If you, if you need prayer in any other area of your life, you're also welcome to come and we'll pray for you. But if you're coming and you want to give your heart to Jesus, say to the person that you're going to speak to, say, I want to give my heart to Jesus today.
Make that confession and they will help you. The Lord bless you. Remember, there's no baptism today because of the week of prayer and fasting. You're welcome right now. The facilities are open. You can go to different rooms and pray. But we'll see you through the week at our times of prayer. The Lord bless you. Go in His grace and go in His strength. Amen.